Welcome to Greensburg Baptist Church. We welcome our church family and also our visiting friends. Thank you for coming to worship with us. To find out more about Greensburg Baptist Church, our upcoming events, and other church activities, visit our website anytime at greensburgbaptist.com. This morning, as we continue our walk through the book of the prophet Isaiah, somewhere around the period of 700 B.C., uh, we come to maybe a culmination of what's been brewing the last, uh, specifically chapters 6 through 11, and chapter 12 appears to be this culmination of all that's been coming to that direction. And and we hear this anthem that's going to be repeated. Um, he's going he's gonna to make a declaration in verse 2, Behold, God is my salvation. And in verse 3, it's going to be an invitation for all of those to come and drink from the wells of salvation, that there is joy to be found. And so today we're going to talk about this, what is God is my salvation? What is Isaiah meaning? What is he trying to explain to us and to the people of Israel during this time period of 700 B.C. as they look forward to a coming conquering of the Assyrians and Babylonians and an exile out of their land, and a question of, is God faithful? Where is God? Why is this happening to us? If you've ever had some of these questions, I believe that these are some of the questions that Isaiah raises for us from the text. And usually as I read God's Word, I'm always asking questions of it, asking questions of what's that mean? What's He trying to say or speak? And here's just some of the questions I hope to answer today as we, again, look at this theme, God is my salvation. First, what's my greatest problem? I don't know if you've ever wondered what your greatest problem or issue is or if you know what your greatest problem or issue is, but Isaiah is going to explain that to us today. Another question, how does God love me and why does God love me? We ask further, what does it mean to be saved? And then why do we even sing and worship God? So these are just some of the questions in the midst of Isaiah 12 that God is going to hopefully answer for us through His Word. So let's get to it. First two questions, what's my greatest problem? And secondly, how does God love me? So first, let's talk about what my greatest problem is. So make your way, Isaiah 12, if you haven't already. Um, he begins verse 1, and it, again, I looked at several translations. You may have one that, that lists it, but most of them don't. The King James starts with the word A-N-D, and... And what it does there is helps us connect verse 1 of Isaiah 12 to what's just previously taken place. And it says, and you will say in that day, there's a response to what's happening. If you remember back in Isaiah 11, we talked about that there was a rescuer that came who's going to bring us home to a new heaven, a new earth. And we heard in verse 11 of Isaiah 11, in that day, it says, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people. We said that Isaiah 11 was this second exodus. Right. And and so there's a reminder of what God did first to bring his people out of Egyptian bondage. God is going to do again. He's going to bring his people to him and ultimately into his eternal kingdom of a new heaven and a new earth. And Isaiah saying, listen, I want you to know what it's going to be like in that day. Here's what's going to come in that day when that happens again. We first Exodus, and what's interesting is, if you walk through it, Exodus 14 tells about how God parts the seas and the Egyptian people go through. And once they go through, what happened to the sea? Do you remember? The sea closed back down on the Egyptians who were chasing them, and the army was ruined. And what happens is, is they come to the other shore, 
Exodus 15 has this anthem of praise where Moses begins to lead the people in praise for God providing an exodus. So it is when we come to Isaiah chapter 12 as he's just walked us through Exodus means this coming rescue. It's as if an exodus is playing out again. That was Exodus 14, Isaiah 11. And now we come into Isaiah 12 and we stepped in again to Exodus 15. But this time it's not just merely a deliverance here on this earth. There's a deliverance into an eternal promised land. There's a deliverance of Beulah land, right? Some of you who maybe know that old song, Beulah land, I'm longing for you and someday on thee I'll stand. This is saying here's what's going to happen in that day. Beginning in Isaiah 12. He says, and you will say in that day, I will give thanks to you. God, he begins, he says, listen, God, there's a desire to begin to give thanks to God. And you're saying, well, what does that thanks even look like, right? Why are they giving thanks, right? And well, Isaiah, as, as any good writer, again, as a good prophet is, he's going to help explain it for you. And, and look what he says there. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, what? You see that word? For. Right. My hope and prayer is that day after day, week after week, as we walk through and we dissect the scriptures, you see it happening in front of you. It's so that you can take it home as you read God's word, you, your family, as you maybe lead a small group or a Bible study before work begins some days or in your home or as you teach a class here at church, that you begin to make interpretive decisions based upon what the text says. So key words like four explains, well, why are they even happy? Why are they giving thanks? For he says, that's what he says. Though you were angry with me, whether you recognize it or not, this is your greatest problem. Because the one that is angry is the Lord. And the anger is a result of the sin of God's people, of your and my sin. And this is your greatest issue. That there is a holy and perfect God that, according to Romans 3 and 23, you're going to see in a moment, that we are separated from this holy God because of our sin. That's our greatest problem. That you and I are going to live forever somewhere, eternally, either in heaven with God or in hell separated from Him. And it says, listen, your sin separates you from this holy God. This is our greatest problem. This is our greatest issue. It's God's judgment of sin. This holy, righteous God cannot allow sin to stand. He can't look over our sin or be like some grandfather. It's kind of like, oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Listen, no. This God is going to bring judgment of sin. And that's why Paul will tell the church at Thessalonica, praise be unto the Lord Jesus Christ who rescues us from the wrath to come. So listen, the question is, well, how does anyone get rid of this anger? How does someone not come under the judgment of God? How do you overcome your greatest problem or issue, separation from a holy God? Listen to what Alec Motier, again, I've shared him several times. This Irish scholar is just so insightful on the, on the passages. He says, reconciliation is not our willingness to have God, but God's willingness to have us. Reconciliation is not our willingness to have God, but God's willingness to have us. And that kind of brings us to the question, well, how does God love me? Right? Like, how does God actually love me? I hear about Him loving me, but like, how does He actually love me? Look what He says here. He says, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, what happens? Your anger does what? It turned away. You see that? And the reality is, if you were really honest, there's absolutely nothing that you personally can do to turn away the anger of God. 
There's nothing any of us can do to turn away God's anger. We can't be good enough. We can't come to church enough. We couldn't give enough. We can't go on enough missions. You can't start being nicer to your parents or um, better at school. You can't do enough things to turn away God's judgment. So God, listen to this, God acted on your behalf. God acted on your behalf. He sent His Son. Listen, you, you think about it. Again, we think about this, this Exodus imagery. Think about the first Exodus, right? So the first Exodus, the night when the angel of death was going to pass over the people of Israel. The people of Israel were told, told to go to the doorposts of their houses and put what over them? Do you remember? The blood of what? A lamb over the doorpost. That would save the eldest child, right? In every household. If not, they would die. And the Egyptians didn't do it. It was in the first Exodus that blood saved the people that they might enter in. So now when we come to the second Exodus, it is only the blood of God's Son, the perfect Lamb, that will allow you to enter in. And that's His death on your behalf has turned away the judgment of God from you. Do you see that? His anger was turned away. How did this happen? The people didn't do it. God sent forth His Son. This, this word that the, the Bible uses, propitiation. It means He's an atoning sacrifice. He can appease God. He can please God's judgment. Listen to what Romans 3 says. Beginning in verse 23, it's a familiar text. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Again, that is your greatest problem. You and I fall short of God's glory because of sin, and that separates us eternally from Him. And then look at this beautiful text. And are justified by His grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus who God put forward as a propitiation. Again, this one thing that would turn away God's wrath. Look what he says, that propitiation, that toning sacrifice. And look what he says, how has this happened? By what? By his blood. By the blood of the Son of God. And look what he says, is there anything that you and I can do? Yes, absolutely. Look what it says here, to be received, to respond by what? By faith. You see it by faith. It is a free gift, the grace of God. It is God's love and mercy towards you and I. That's what Isaiah is telling us. He's saying it long before John will step on the scene in First John and say, we love him because he first what? Loved us. That's the text you're reading. This is the prophet of 700 B.C. speaking to the people of God about the coming exodus that God is going to provide. He is going to overcome our greatest problem. Our separation from a holy God. How? By sending His Son and His blood will once and for all cover our sin. That you can stand forever with a holy God. That's where He's going to finish up, verse 6. So look at this. Then maybe the next question that comes is, so if my greatest problem is my sin and separation from a holy God, and I see how God loves me, that He acted on my behalf before I could ever even do anything. God sent forth His Son for me, for someone like me. You might ask then, why? Why does he love me? Why does God care about someone like me? Listen to what the prophet Isaiah says. For though you were angry with me, again, verse 1 of Isaiah 1, your anger turned away, look at this, that. Again, just, you want to know why? You want to know why God's anger turned away from you? That you, God might what? Comfort you. That God might show His love to you. That God delights in loving sinners. That it brings glory to God. That a perfect and holy God would love someone like us. 
It brings glory to God that He would rescue your soul. For God does not delight in the death of the wicked. No, that they would repent, they would return and not perish. God does not desire that you would spend eternity separated from Him. He desires to comfort you with His love. And so therefore, He sent His Son to turn away His anger and judgment that by faith, by grace, by believing, you might have life and be eternally comforted. Man. And so listen, Isaiah is going to say, remember this again, you're asking the question. Look what he says here. Ah, come on. I will give thanks to you. Why are we giving thanks? Well, Isaiah's told us four. And he's just listed all that. Does that move your heart to give thanks? Does that bring you to give thanks? All that we've just heard in just these one verse of Isaiah 12. Man, this is amazing grace. In fact, Isaiah begins the next, very next verse. Um, let's see here. Uh, yeah, look what he says. Verse two. Behold, he says. Behold, God is my salvation. He says, listen, God doesn't simply save us. He is my salvation. The Lord is my salvation. It's not just some mere belief. I have faith in someone, the God man, Jesus Christ. He is my salvation. And so that maybe brings us to a question that I want to ask. What's it even mean to be saved? Like, what's it mean if God is my salvation? What's Isaiah even mean by that? And again, um, let's be honest. When we look here um, at the text of Isaiah 7 or Isaiah 12, we're going to hear Isaiah's perspective. What's wise is, is we begin to take a perspective, right, of the holistic view of all of God's word. All right, so if you hear this today and you think, well, I, you know what, I, I hear that, but sometimes other texts, I read Paul in the New Testament, I hear some other things. So listen, we want to see a holistic view. That's why we need all of God's word. But this morning, let's just allow Isaiah to speak. Let's allow him to explain it to his people and help show light to us about what does it mean to be saved. Look what he says here. Behold, God is my salvation. I think he brings out four truths about what it means to be saved. First, he says, I will what? I will what? I will trust. And the question might need to come back to us. How could we not trust a God who would love us and act on our behalf before we ever loved him? How can we not trust a God who would send his son to take our sin on the cross? How can we not trust in a God who is that merciful and gracious, who does not give up on us or discard us? This love of God who loves us unlike anyone that's ever loved us before. And listen, we're not trying to earn his love. Listen, you're not trying to earn his love. I, I say it continually, but I think it's such a deep truth. We are never working to the cross, but always what? From the cross. You're not trying to be good enough, not trying to do enough things that God will somehow love you. He already has loved you so much in sending his son in the midst of your sin. Let that be what empowers you to live. Not because you're trying to be loved, but because you are loved. Isn't that different? I mean, as parents, listen, if we, we're not trying to get our kids to somehow measure up that we'll love them or approve of them or like, oh, now I'm proud that you're mine. I'm trying to continually tell my boys, listen, I don't care if you hit the home run, if you get straight A's, if you can read every book for the summer reading library club. That was awesome, by the way. But listen, I love you because you're mine. And the reason why I love you is because there is someone that lives in me 
And He loves you through me, bro. Man, you don't have to be the all-star. You don't have to get perfect grades. You don't have to be the best singer. You don't have to... I love you because you're mine. Now go and do your best. Go and do your best as God. He changes us as parents, as, as, as friends, as neighbors, as children. Look what else he says here. Behold, God is my salvation again. What does it mean to be saved? Well, we're trusting in him. But look what else he says here. And we will not be what? Not be afraid. Trusting in Christ, when God becomes your salvation, you no longer have to live in fear of death. And I think most of us all have a real fear to some extent of death, some greater than others, but times I think we can become paralyzed by that. Romans 5, Paul says that we now have peace with God through who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. This salvation that has come to us that we no longer have to live a life of fear. In fact, because we're no longer afraid, because we know that God is once for us and not against us. And as Paul says, if God be for us, then what? Who can be against us? So I'll not be afraid. I'll have to fear. Some of you may fear the spiritual world, the demonic world. Now, I'm not saying take that lightly. But I want you to know that there is one greater than the demonic world than Satan and all of his minions. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. You just read about it. You sang it a while ago. Right? The, the death, the demons, the demonic world, hell thought they had won the victory. But Colossians 2 and 15 says that he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the cross. The cross became victory as Jesus Christ was not only crucified and buried, but on the third day by the power of Almighty God, he raised his son again, victorious over your Do you see that? He died the death that you deserve to die, so His resurrection is yours. Your sin is defeated in Christ. It's the hope of salvation. Wow. Look what he says here. You say, Blake, why will I trust? Why will I not be afraid? Look what Isaiah says again. You want to know why, guys? For. For, he says, the Lord God is what? My strength. God is my strength. I'm not the strong one. It is not my strength that is going to be able to carry this. Right? I mean, it is God's strength. It is God in you. Listen, as you, as you face so many trials and tough things, listen, you weren't designed to carry that burden. It is His strength. For some of you, that means physical. You need physical strength. For some of you, it's emotional. You just need some emotional, just some peace. Some of you, it's again, it's an area of spiritual where Satan just keeps messing with you. You're a failure, failure. said you wouldn't do that again. You did it, you did it, did it. Oh God, I know I can't overcome this sin in my life, but Lord, you are my strength. Please God. Do you see it? The Lord is my strength. And because of that, I will trust and not be afraid. Fourthly, again, what does it mean to be saved? He says this, the Lord God is my strength and the Lord is my song. Joy is one of the primary marks of genuine salvation. There is a joy. There is a desire to sing. The word order is interesting. It literally says my song or my praise is the Lord. My song is the Lord. So it doesn't say that my song or my desire to worship God is hymns. Or my song is contemporary praise choruses. No. My song is the Lord. 
And so if that be a contemporary praise song and that's, that glorifies and honor my Savior, then I'm going to sing that. If it's a hymn that we're singing, listen, I may not prefer hymns or I may really prefer hymns and not choruses. I don't know which camp you may be in. You may be a mixer. I, I don't know. But if it points to God who is your salvation and the song and the words that you are singing is truth that matches to His Word, the Lord is your song. You're singing to Him whether you like it or prefer it or even feel like it. Why? Because the Lord is my song. So I don't ask, is this the style I like? No. I have to ask, is the Lord my salvation? I can't ask, do I have a good voice? No. Why? Because the Lord is my song and He is my salvation. Look further with me. Look what He says here in verse 3. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. He says, listen, there's going to bring joy. Salvation from God brings joy to the believer's heart. There's joy, inner joy. Joy despite your circumstances. Right? There's happy moments that come and go, but there is an inner joy for the believer who knows that Christ has overcome this world, that no matter whether we get good news or bad news, God's still good. This past week we were, we were riding down the road and going for, for mommy's doctor appointment and we we're waiting some tests. We weren't sure about the results. And so we asked the boys. So guys, we all, we all prayed together. We had some arguments about why we pray together. That's another sermon, but yeah. Um, my boys asked lots of questions too. So, And so we ask this question. So guys, today, if the results we get the doctor are not good, is God still good? And Judah, our three-year-old who's now four, immediate answer was no. (laughs) Truth, right? Come on, you've been there. If God doesn't do what you want, you start to wonder, is God still good? And the other boys, like, they saw my disdain, right? The look in my face fall. And, um, And so they're like, no, Daddy, he's still good, right? Absolutely, he's still good. Listen, why? Because the joy of salvation is greater than our circumstances. Whether he does what we wish he would do or we would like for him to do or whether he answered the prayer on the way to the doctor. We don't know what God is, what desires to do. We don't always understand his will. We may not always even agree with it. That's not how to have done that. But listen, there is joy because of the salvation we have in Christ. So again, look what he says here. You're going to draw water. Some of you have probably been to different countries and you realize that water is the most precious resource. Water is the most precious resource. It's in John chapter 7 that Jesus comes to the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, as they celebrate this time in Israel's history. And what would happen in all seven days, John chapter 7, I think it's verses 37 through 39, is says that, that Jesus comes into this period of time of the end of the feast, the tabernacles. The end of the seven days is over. And all seven days, what the priests would do is they would leave the temple, they would go to the pool of Siloam, they would dip water from it, they would march back as this big processional, and they would pour the water out on the altar as this symbol, this water is a symbol of salvation Listen to what Jesus says, drawing off the truth of John, Isaiah 12 and 3. On the last day, John 7 and 37, of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow 
rivers of living water. The question is, what is this living water that's going to flow out? Right, what's flowing out? What's he speaking of? Now this he said, right? Look what it says. Now this he said about what? About the Spirit. Whom whom those who believed again in him. So again, we have this call to believe in him. Those who believed in him were to receive. And then he talks about the fact that they'd not yet received it because Jesus had not yet been glorified, raised from the dead. So listen to what he says. He says, listen, you want to know what the joy of salvation is, the work of the joy of salvation? It's a connection to the Holy Spirit. Right? I mean, there, there's an, if there's an absence of the Holy Spirit in your life, well, Paul says if you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Christ. But as a believer, listen, the Spirit desires to create joy within you. There's a joy about the work of salvation that this would flow out like we're living waters. There's a desire. Listen, I want to encourage you. Do you desire to grow in your relationship with Christ? If you could say, listen, if I could sit down with new believers and say, listen, I would love to sit down and just spend some time with you. I would encourage them just greatly to walk through this spiritual disciplines. We're going to start it here in a couple of weeks on Wednesday nights. Bible reading, how to meditate on God's word. Like, how do you take God's word with you? When you don't have it actually in front of you, like, well, how do you take it and spend time throughout the day thinking? How do you pray? How do we worship? How do we share the gospel? Serve, give fast. There's a lot more into it in there. I would walk a new believer and say, listen, you, you desperately need to walk through this. If you're designed here today and you say, you know what, Blake, I'm a believer. I want to grow in Christ. I'd say, you know what? Sometimes like maybe in sports, different things, you just need to remind to come back to the basics. Others of you, you just feel dry spiritually. I wouldn't compel you and encourage you. Again, if you went today to a doctor and they encouraged you or advised you on some type of treatment plan or medication based upon what you're dealing with, it's wise to follow that advice. We here today as spiritual leadership are saying, listen, this is a great investment of your spiritual life. I compel you to sign up. Again, sign up sheets in the back. If you already signed up, right down here front, we have some books in already. For those that have signed up, others keep signing up. Listen, I want to compel you. Get connected. Go deeper. Continue to walk in God's Word and His truth. Well, Isaiah answers maybe this last question. How might I know if I'm saved? It's kind of similar to the other one. But maybe we're asking, well, what's the result of drinking from this well of salvation? Right? And, and Jesus obviously says this well of salvation is, is, is faith, believing in Him, which results in receiving the Holy Spirit that now begins to pour out of your life. You say, so how might I know if I'm saved? What might be some things that look or reflect the fact that my heart has been transformed, that I've become a new creation? I think Isaiah throws again maybe four things at us. Let's look at those in closing. Number one, a thankful heart. Look what he says there again, verse four. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord. Giving thanks for being saved, right? That's something that, again, I compel you to never get over being saved, being transformed by God's grace. There is a thankful heart. First Thessalonians 5 and 18, listen, it says, Give thanks in all what? Circumstances. Give thanks in. doesn't say give thanks for. We face evil things in this life. Some of you are going through very hard things. We're not dismissing those. We're not saying, oh, that's nothing. Just forget about that and come on. No, he says give thanks in even in the midst of that, give thanks for what you have in Christ because no matter what you face here and now, it's temporary. It will come to an end when this new kingdom comes. 
So he says, listen, how might you again know that if you've drank from the well of salvation, there is just a thankful heart. There is a thankful heart. Listen, as we listen to these and see these, I don't know about you, but I start to see some serious weaknesses in my life. Guess what you should do? We need to repent. Just say, God, I'm sorry. I don't have a thankful heart or there's no joy in my life or desire to sing and worship you. Just acknowledge it. God knows it. You know it. Ask him to change you. We've already seen that he loves you already. He loves you despite it. He loves me despite it. So again, a result, a reflection of drinking from the well of salvation is there's a thankful heart. Secondly, there is a knowing God. Look what he says. Call upon his name. There is knowing God. There is a personal relationship with God. There's an an intimacy, a communication with God that reflects the fact that you have now drank from these wells of salvation. There is just, again, a desire to give thanks to God, but a communion with God. Do you have that? Thirdly, Isaiah listed there's a passion to share the gospel. Again, remember he's saying, and you will say in that day. Here's a response to this joy of drinking from the well of salvation. Look what he says there. Thirdly, they will make known his deeds among the peoples. There is a desire to share the gospel. I hope you're with us this past Wednesday night. If not, it was, um, man, it was one of those nights I wish I could bottle up the things they shared and just take it with me down the road of life. The beautiful thing about the Oklahoma team as they shared Wednesday night was they just, this theme kept reverberating up from them of this love that God had for them. And then it moved them to love the Pawnee. There was a love that God had for them that moved them to come to Oklahoma. And then they began to just invest in relationships. And here's the beautiful thing. If you were here, some of these folks have been coming back year after year to the same place. And they've been investing in these children and youth year after year after year. Investing in a relationship that was based upon love. God's love for them and God's love for them. And a desire to share the gospel with them. Not simply just to love them, but to call them into relationship with Jesus Christ by looking to God's Word. Beloved, it's a scary term, but if I can share with anybody, that is discipleship. And that team was passionate about it. Let's bring that back to Greensburg KY. Take that to your family. Bring that to your school. A love for others. Some of them testified that they walked beside them, not growing impatient, even though maybe they, they weren't yet ready to receive or they didn't seem interested, but just keep pouring in, keep loving, but keep bringing things back to God's Word. That's discipleship, loving others. And look what he says to them, guys. Look, proclaim that his name is exalted. Don't preach a shabby Jesus. Jesus Christ is the name that is above every name. You you bring and herald into your family, into your job, to your school. You when you walk in there to that nursing home, to to those who are hurting and weak, wherever you may go, listen. You carry the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus Christ, when which it says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess in heaven and on earth that Jesus Christ is what Lord to the glory of God the Father. You're taking the greatest name, beloved. Some of you, young men and women, God is stirring your heart to take the gospel to the nations. 
take the greatest name that is ever or ever will be spoken. The name of Jesus Christ. Fourthly and last, here we go. How might I know if I'm saved? How might I see a result of drinking from the salvation? Well, there's a desire to worship and praise God. And this maybe answers also the question that I kind of brought up. Why do we sing and worship God? Right? So there's a reflection. There's a desire to worship and sing and praise God. And the question might be also, well, why do we do that? I think Isaiah answers all of that here in these last two verses. Look what he says. First, we're called to sing praises to the Lord. Why? For, again, he has done gloriously. There's just a desire to worship God for all that he's done for you. The things that we've just seen here. Again, it's not based upon how we feel. It's about what he has done. It says, let this be known in all the earth. Look at him further with them. There is a shout and a singing for joy. Oh, inhabitants of Zion. Why? Why would we shout? Why might we sing? Why might there be an exuberance and a desire to worship? For great, listen to this, beloved grace and mercy. This again, I think Isaiah 12 and 6 is a culmination of everything that's been leading up to this point. As we walk through all this, listen to this. For great in your midst is who? Is the Holy One. This is your eternal hope. That your greatest problem, sin, is overcome. And now because of faith in the name of Jesus Christ who died for your sins, you can be with God forever. You can dwell with Him. He will be in their midst. Even a people that we've heard. Listen, listen to these just as we close. Isaiah 6 we saw him confronted with his sin. Woe is me, for I am ruined. I, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live amongst a people of unclean lips. And the grace of God came as that seraphim flew from the altar and said, See, your sin is atone, atoned for. In Isaiah 7, we heard the promise of hope. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and they will call his name, what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. In Isaiah 8, we saw that the people were in the midst of great darkness, a hard, difficult time, and yet they were told to wait, to hope, and trust in God. In Isaiah 9 and 10, we hear the people are in hope in the midst of judgment. Why? For to us a son is born, to us a child is given. We came to Isaiah 11 last week, and we heard that there was a rescuer coming, that there was an eternal home. And now we close with Isaiah 12 and 6 to learn that the people of God are going to dwell with God forever. And this is a reason to shout and sing. Whew. That's all I have. Do you know that salvation? Has it transformed your heart again? First and foremost, for those here who are apart from Christ, your greatest problem will not be overcome by anything you do. It is by what He's already done in your faith and trust in Him. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's Him. For those of you who are believers here today, and you say, Blake, you know what? This kind of pricked my heart in some areas. There's a lack of joy, a desire to worship, to share the gospel, to give thanks. Repent. As a church, listen, we are not too good. We have not yet arrived. You are not yet in Beulah land. We as a church, listen, we are not perfect people here. We don't claim to be. We are ones who acknowledge that we are in need of redemption. It's Christ. So listen, come and say, God, change me. God, forgive me. God, cleanse me. Today I compel you to respond 
to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to remember that God first loved you and therefore now you can love him. It's the hope of the gospel. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the hope of the gospel. I pray today that you would speak and draw men and women, boys and girls to you for salvation in your son, for those who are here who do not know you. I pray again you would move their hearts for those who do, Lord, as your children already. Lord, we we acknowledge we're not perfect. So God, I ask that you would just move us. Give us a heart of just humility to acknowledge that. But I pray also that we would desire to be changed. Father, I pray you would move folks to get connected with us with discipleship group on Wednesday night, studying there or Sunday school, wherever. God, please connect your people. I love you, Lord. Move our hearts to worship you in spirit and truth. I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.